Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through the day. Now here's your host, Nada Hogan. Hello and welcome to Dare a New Belief in What is Possible for Your Life. I am your host, Nada Hogan, and I have the great honor today to be with my new friend, Art Costello. I think you are going to really enjoy this interview. So this is a little information about Art, and we're going to dive into his story. But there is only one thing that drives Art as he explores the endless possibilities available to those who long for a beautiful, more abundant future, and that is passion, a passion for revealing the truth about you, your destiny that brings with it ultimate fulfillment. He is a visionary, and as a visionary, he is also an attitude architect. Does it get any better than that? And a mindset expert. Art is, in a sense, a deep-sea diver. His commitment to delving into the depths of the human condition yield extraordinary treasure buried within all of us. Art's gentle, guiding hand will encourage you to, uh, to withstand the pressure of going deep in order to excavate a brighter, vibrant tomorrow. As an author and speaker, Art hones the expectations of people who have perhaps lost their joy, feel anxious or depressed, or can't seem to connect to their life's purpose, providing the balm necessary to heal and find new hope. He has devoted himself to helping people from all walks of life, individuals who have forgotten their childhood dreams, families that struggle with unresolved tension and hurts, business professionals with the fire to connect their expectations with their achievements, and even athletes striving for the greatest potential. Could Art be a better fit for this podcast? I love this. And Art, before I say hello to you and turn the mic over, this part, when I'm looking at your bio, this part about being a deep sea diver, it's like a deep sea diver into the soul and your guiding gentle hands. Since I've met you in person and have been able to spend some time with you, that I can attest is so true. And I am so excited to start sharing your story with my audience. So hello, Art. How are you today? Hi. (laughs) I'm great. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I think we're going to have a blast. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Art. So because Art, I know a little bit about you and I know a little bit about your story and it is just intrigues me. When we were in conversation, you were talking about um, some experiences, some things that were not so good that happened to you when you were a young boy, um, and if I'm not mistaken, at nine years old. And I'm wondering if we can travel back in time and, and if you can help me and my audience understand how you got from where you were as a nine-year-old boy to where you are now, that the pain that, that literally took you to the place of the beautiful life that you live now, starting from that young boy. 
Sure, we can go back there. It, it, it's really kind of easy for me to reflect back on it. When I was really young, probably three, four, we, my parents lived in a very uh, upscale urban area that was um, just really a great life. We had a great house. Uh, I played baseball from the time I was four on. I just loved it. And then for some unknown reason to me, when I turned nine, we moved out of this urban area to a very rural area. And we had no neighbors. We had no, I mean, our neighbors were three and four miles away and they had no children. So being so social with baseball, I lost all that. And it was all taken away from me. And it left me lonely, depressed, not focused on, on anything because baseball had been my focus. I, I was going to be a, a major league baseball player like so many young boys want to be right. back in that, that time. In order for me to survive, I had, I had to figure life out on my own. And I started to do that by going up this mountain that was next to our house. And let me explain a little bit about the house that we lived in. Please. It had no water, running water. Oh. It had no indoor plumbing. Uh, the roof leaked. We had gone from really a great upper middle class life to, to almost living in uh, squalor. The house was terrible. Wow. Are, are, are you okay if I jump in here for just a second? Go ahead. No problem. Do you know why that happened? Why you went from upper middle class to like, I mean, I, I would say it almost, it sounds like poverty. Do you know why that happened? No, I, I, you know, I tried to figure it out and, you know, my parents have passed away and when they were alive, it was a part of their life that they just avoided. And, and as I tell my story, you'll understand how some of it happened, uh, wow. kind of, but also that part, and I'll get, I'll get into that right now. When I went to my 50th reunion, my 50th high school reunion, <laughs> I still noticed the kids were not, they didn't engage me. I mean, some of them did, but I, everybody was still pretty standoffish. And that is how much uh, from the time I was nine till uh, 17 when I went in the Marine Corps, oh. that time of high school was very, very bad for me because uh, I was kind of ostracized. And one of the people at, at, at the, uh, at the uh, reunion said to me, Do you, did you ever realize why everybody kind of shunned you and your family and everything? And I said, well, I knew that everybody kind of shunned and even the teachers that uh, oh, at the school yeah. kind of really were standoffish. Uh, I was an excellent baseball player and we couldn't, I couldn't make the baseball team. What? And I couldn't make, I couldn't make little league teams. I couldn't do anything. And I love baseball. Wow. Anyway, what I found out was somebody <laughs> had told somebody in the town, started a rumor that my parents were running from the mafia. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. So everybody was in fear that if they associated with us, that anything could happen. Because if you remember back in the 50s, there was a gangster by the name of Frank Costello. Oh, who, no. Which, which is so ironic for me because our, our last name being Costello, but we're not Italian. We're actually, <laughs> we're actually Irish. 
And oh. if you if you look at the history of Ireland, John Costello was a uh, the premier of Ireland uh, in the fifties, I believe it was. I'm I'm not an Irish hi history buff, but I've read a lot. But anyway, so that kind of explained why I was shunned by other students. I, I mean, I had two really good friends, but other than that, it was kind of not not so good. Wow. But anyway, wow. I the way that I dealt with all this pain that I was experiencing at that time was I went up this hill. It was by the house, Mountain Hill. And I would lay on my back and I'd have a conversation with God. And I'd mm. ask him what was going to become of me. And I heard of, after making that trip, really literally hundreds of times where I'd lay on my back and just have this conversation. I was laying there one day, just totally in surrender. And I heard a voice deep inside of me that said, you just have to be faithful. You just be, have to be faithful and just keep doing and do what's right. So after many, many trips up that hill, that became my driving force. It became the thing that I believed in and became my belief. And it has propelled me throughout my life. It, that voice has, has rung through me so many times. And I really... Uh, encourage people. Part of my process with people is getting them to identify. There's three steps of expectation therapy. It's identify, uh, clarify, and solidify. So the identif identification part is where you really delve into yourself and surrender to your inner self. Okay. And you start to really trust and you learn mm. that your belief system and how you believe becomes unshakable. And I, I did that all through high school. And then when I was 17 and graduating, I decided my escape route was going to be to go in the Marine Corps. And I ended up going to Vietnam, uh, which was a whole nother experience, uh, you know. And, but I used the same techniques that I learned as a nine-year-old in Vietnam. And I noticed a lot of things in Vietnam about life and death, uh, okay. yeah. it, that we don't control it, uh, right. you know, because one of the hardest things for, for vets to understand is survivors, you know, why did we survive? Those of us that have survived combat and war, I mean, we suffer, I guess, uh, from survivor's guilt, I call it, um, some people call it PTSD, I, I don't know. But I know that the way that I dealt with it was that I know that everything in life has a purpose. Yeah. Whatever that purpose is, it's not for us to question it. We're just to become the, the catalysts, the doers that just keep going and keep, keep creating and keep being, uh, keep our belief system going and faithful and, and, and that. And I just noticed that it was, a real great tool for me to use to combat any of the tragedies in, in my life. So I, I got through Vietnam and then life became very good. I've always done everything that I wanted to do. I tried out and played baseball and actually made a semi-pro team that wow. was affiliated wow. with the Dodgers. So I, pro <laughs> I proved to myself that, uh, that I was worthy, <laughs> that I, I had the abilities, even though I didn't make it to the pros. I was older, uh, played in college and, and, uh, and all of that. Uh, 
owned my own business, went worked in the entertainment business. Uh, just I have always been a doer. I just do, do, do. Yeah. So yeah. 30, that married the woman of my dreams, beautiful San Diego blonde girl. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and we had three children and, and life advanced and owned my own business and always within my head, this belief that I could do anything. And all I had to do was be faithful and, and just do, do, do. Wow. Then in 2003, the rug got pulled out from underneath me again. 2003, September 23rd, 2003, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh, and I stopped everything and took care of her. She had taken care of me for 35 years. And I felt that I needed to drop everything and take care of her. It was what she wanted. In September 16th, 2006, she passed away. She lost her battle with ovarian cancer. And um, prior to that, two weeks prior to that, she had called me into the, into the bedroom and uh, had said, asked me to sit down on the side of the bed. And she said these words to me, I want to give you a gift. Mm. I want to release you from your marriage vows so you can go find somebody else who deserves you as much as I have deserved you. And at the time, I just didn't believe it. You know, it's one of those things where somebody says something and you think, golly, you know, I'll never find anyone else. And you, uh, yeah, it just, just, just takes your breath away. Yeah. Wow. Two weeks later, she passed away. And I went into the grieving process and uh, probably dishonored her for the next two and a half years, the worst way anyone could. I I started drinking and not being a good person and felt lost and devastated and didn't see any purpose in life anymore. Mm. One day my kids came over and they said, dad, you had promised mom you wouldn't do this. And uh, she knew you pretty well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you're doing it and you need to wake up. Yeah. They left and at 2 a.m. in the morning on our lawn of our ranch out in uh, west of Austin, Texas, I got up out of bed, went out into the yard, laid down on the grass and looked into the sky again and asked God what was going to become of me. Oh. And I heard that voice again. Wow. And it just said, hey, buddy, I've given you all the tools. You just need to use them. (laughs) (laughs) I got up up from that feeling so reinvigorated, so rejuvenated, and so alive again, and I started writing. And when I started writing, out of that writing came my book, Expectation Therapy. But what it what it did for me is in reflection, I started looking at how I have always healed myself and how I have always set my mind. And that is, I have always had the expectation that everything was going to be all right in the end. Everything is meant to be. It has a purpose. What my job is and what our job is as people, as human beings on the face of this earth, is to learn how to manage all of those expectations we have and just become a doer of good deeds and just start living the way that we were intended to. Because 
everything that has happened to us is bringing us to this place of where we are now. Right. Who we are, how we, how we create, how we do. And we, and we do not have control over so many of these worldly things, but what we do have control over is how we expect and how we move forward and how we drive ourselves. And, uh, that's that's how I've created what I've created. Wow. I'm 71 years old now, and I just, uh, I continue to do. I mean, I just, I always say the the I'll stop being a doer the day that they, they bury me. So, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. You know, it's really, it's, it's powerful when you, when you do. When you're depressed, if you do, start just almost really doing anything. I tell people, do anything. I mean, it's best that you do something you love if you can identify that. It's best if you do something with other people. But as long as you're doing and creating, it's very rewarding to the soul and your passion and, and uh, how, how you move forward. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Art, I, I want to go back a little bit to back when you were nine and laying on the hill and you had asked God the question, what is going to become of me? And that's when you started understanding, maybe, maybe you did know what that was, I'm not sure, but about this expectation therapy, I think that's, that's where the whole thing started from was way back when you were nine years old. Is that correct? That there, when God spoke to you, because you heard it in your heart, you didn't hear it. It wasn't an auditory, is that correct? It was in your heart? Yeah, it was more in my gut. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> my heart, my gut, you know, yeah. I mean, it was more that. But yeah, you're correct in a way. It's where expectation ther therapy was born. But right. I did not realize it until almost 50 years later. And you were engaging with it, but you didn't even know what you were engaging with. But it was like a light. It was a, a guiding force, a, a, a something inside of you, even though it didn't have a name or you didn't. Sometimes you hear it called as being like an unconscious competent, that you don't know how it's happening, but, but it's happening. Would that be accurate or no? That is really accurate. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, the proof of it was in when I started writing it flowed out of me mm. effortlessly. My writing just became effortless. Wow. Wow. And, and it was a very creative process. And, uh, you know, when I, I just spoke at Harvard um, about a month and a half ago, and one of the things that was brought up to me was, is that an astrophysicist was telling me that he was so proud to meet me because he, this... He said, "This was I was living proof of what he studies, because he believes, and and I believe it too. When I was nine years old and lay not laying on that hill, I put out vibrations. I put out energy that went out into the atmosphere. Yeah. And because because I believed in it all of my life, it was the one belief that I had that I could, I could capture it." I controlled it. It was mine. It didn't belong to anyone else. No one could hurt it. No one could harm it. No one could do anything to it except me. It was my one thing in my life I could tr control was that belief. Right. And in putting out those vibrations, they've, they've been in the atmosphere all these 
50 some years and have now come full circle where I'm actually living it. I'm actually living it. And when I heard an astrophysicist explain it, it brought goosebumps to me because it's something we're all capable of, but most of us are so scared by it that we just tuck it away. We don't surrender to it. And because it was the only thing I had, I lived it. I, I let it go. I let it permeate my, my being. Right. And I believe that that's how it grew, how my compassion for people grew. You know, I, it just effortlessly for me, it happens. And, um, and I've just honored that, that, you know, God chose me to, to realize it and live it. And I believe that that's why expectation therapy is so effective with people because it gets to the root causes of what somebody's problem is and we can uh, work through it you know, through the three steps that I explained. Right, right. And by the way, those three steps came out of physics. There's a a formula in physics that is called the formula of expectation. And what that formula basically does is identify the probability and possibility of an experiment uh, coming to fruition and what the results will be. All I did was took those, and and this came out of, you know, these conversations I had with, with God laying on the, my back and just letting myself go. And this is part of what just came out of me. I turned that around into a behavioral uh, formula. And that's how identify, clarify, and solidify came to expectation therapy out of that formula. And I had never studied physics Wow. So how did I have so many questions for you? Oh my God. You and I are going to do another podcast just on the part with the astrophysicist because that is exactly how I live my life. And I never knew that until probably maybe I was introduced to vibration and living on frequencies and living on vibrations and what thoughts do and, and what your, the vibration and the weight that your words carry. I just became aware of that maybe nine years ago. So I mean that, wow, that's a whole podcast in itself. But you didn't know anything about physics when you came up with the whole expectation therapy these, and these three steps. You didn't even know this. Nope, didn't even know it. Uh, you know, and since then I've, I've started, you know, studying physics and quantum physics and, and that, you know, whole realm. And, and it's very intriguing. I, my next book I want to write, if I ever get the time and energy to do it, uh, is called, uh, quantum expectations. I love it. Oh man, man. So are one of the questions when when you were nine and you had this big transition in your life and it, it's like the catalyst for everything. So there's this huge blessing and being in this dilapidated house that doesn't even have indoor plumbing, which I can't even imagine what that is like. And especially during the cold winters, because you said upstate New York, is that correct? That's correct. Yes, so was- chilly. Oh, oh, oh I just oh, it, got, <laughs> it got so cold. Oh man. Oh, bless your heart, because I, I don't know, that would have been, that could have been the end for me. But I'm wondering, did you have any kind of spiritual belief or spiritual faith back then before you had the, in, ooh, the encounter on the mountain? I like that. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did, was there anything there then or were you curious or just didn't I, I had been raised uh, 
my my parents' idea of uh, of religion for their kids was taking us to church and dropping us off at the at the front of the church and picking us up when service was over. Uh. Uh, but I was raised Catholic. But I, you know, I one of the things that, the other things that I did when I was uh, younger. We, you know, nine and 10 and 11 is we had horses and, and cows and stuff. And I, I would talk to the animals. Yeah. I, I remember talking to my brother's horse and I can remember the horse just always like putting his head on my shoulder oh. and just, you know, uh, just having these engaging talks with the, with the horse. He didn't talk back to me, but, you know, I would talk to him and he, you know, it, it was like he understood. Yeah. And uh, I, th I think I've always had a spiritual nature to me. And I think it wasn't until, you know, after I was 60 some years old that I really explored it. Yeah. So, so uh, but I've always believed, I've always believed that there was something greater, that there was something better than me. And Vietnam taught me that too, because when I was in Vietnam, uh, I'm not sure if you know the story about adopting or trying to adopt the little girl in the orphanage. I do know the story, but I know that my audience would love this. This is the most heartbreaking, heartwarming, beautiful story. And I think this was a big change for you too, wasn't it? Didn't this help with all of the, the processing that you were going through? Yeah. To me, when I look back on it, I call it uh, where I learned to love. Because uh, life became not about me, but it became about a little Vietnamese girl that was in an orphanage. Mm. Uh, the way the story starts is we were coming off of a patrol and we were coming down uh, through this village. And I walked around the side of a, a hooch and uh, there was a little girl standing with her hands through chicken wire looking up at me. And uh, I would say she was probably about eight or nine years old. Mm. And when our eyes met, it was instant. Oh. Even though she never said a word and I never said a word to her, it was instant connection. Yeah. And, uh, I thought, oh my God, there I am at nine. Wow. When you looked at her in her eyes, that connection, that's what you saw? Was you at nine? That's what I saw. Wow. So I went back to, uh, we got back to our main compound. And when I got back there, I, the cha our chaplain happened to be there, and I asked him if if he knew what that was, and he told me it was an orphanage, and that he went out there once a week. And I told him about this. He said there was about twenty kids there, and I said, "Well, there's this little girl. I think she's probably eight or nine. And I explained to him, and he says, "Oh yeah." He says, "I, I think I know who you're talking about." So I said, "I want to put her to, through school. I want to get her clothes. I want to get mm. what is she." Tell me what she needs, and I'll write home and get money out of my account, and I will start supporting her. Yeah. And we had this conversation with the chaplain, and he said, you know, if we do that for one, we really should do it for all. So I right. told my parents to send me all my money I had saved oh. from being in Vietnam. And, of course, my, my parents said, hey, we could start a drive here, and we'll start raising money and buy goods and stuff to send to the orphanage. Well, it grew from that orphanage to another or orphanage to another orphanage called, and they called it Operation Morale. 
and oh, uh, wow. it was it really did a lot. So my my year in Vietnam went and came and went, and uh, when it was time to leave, I petitioned the Marine Corps to let me ha- take Yoon home to the United States. And of course, being an 18 year old Marine, <laughs> single, the Marine Corps said, "Nope, ain't no way that's right." <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. I mean, you're going to take a little nine, ten-year-old girl, you know, back to the United States, away right. from what she has. And they said no. So I made arrangements with Father Volz, uh, the chaplain, to take care of her because uh, he was going to remain there. And he did that. And uh, in the meantime, I finished my tour of duty in the Marine Corps, uh, was preparing to get out. In February of 1968, I got a a letter from Father Volz that said, uh, you can stop sending any money. Mm. And uh, he went further on to say that during the Tet Offensive in in early February, the orphanage had been overrun by the North Vietnamese and the the Akong. And of course, we all know that any time, any place had heavy roots to the Americans, if they had very little value. And he, he said that all the killed kids were lost oh, in, in battle. Oh. So poor little Yoon, I'd like to someday go back and see if I could either find a grave or, you know, some, some sign, you know, maybe by chance she escaped. Right. You know, I don't have any way of knowing. Right. Uh, and oh. Unless I went back there and tried to find somebody, you know, you know, 50 years later that, that wouldn't know, which I don't know is possible. But anyway. Wow. How heartbreaking art. Oh, my gosh. But that, that little girl taught me that life was not all about art, Costello. Uh, <laughs> because, I, you know, as a 17-year-old cocky Marine, you know, right. every, everything revolved around me. <laughs> right. And it really, it really did. It was, it, it was pivotal in my change, in my maturation as a human being. And uh, I'm grateful that I did what I did. I pray that I made her last years on earth blessed. Yeah. Wow. I have no doubt that you did, Art. And I can hear that emotion. And God bless you. And I'm just wrapping my arms energetically around you because... Wow. I mean, just even to reach out and to do something, I would imagine was maybe even enormously impossible. There could have been that whole feel like, what do I do? I'm in Vietnam and the steps that you took and to help. And it's just the most passionate. I just, I love that story. And I, I love the help and the hope that you brought to the, to the whole orphanage. And it, it brings up a question for me too with Yoon. Were you able to, because you said when you saw her, she was, you know, her hands were through this chicken wire fence. Were you ever able to spend time with her? Yeah, what uh, Father Volz did, and actually I had a part in it, was uh, when, I guess that probably was around September that that I had uh, our eyes first met. So we arranged for her and to have the orphanage come into our compound for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh. And they brought all ki- all 20 kids in on a six-by, and all of our unit gathered around the back of the six-by. And when she came off the back of it, our eyes met again. 
Oh. She, ran, she ran to my arms. Oh, Art. It was meant to be. Oh, man. So can you just clarify, because I'm, I'm having a vision, I think a six by, is that like a flatbed truck? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's a big, it's a bigger uh, dual axle, uh, big truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. Kind of like a flatbed, but it has sides on it and has a canopy over the top. It's a okay. troop carrier, you know, for, okay. you know, okay. we still, they still use them today, you know. Okay. So. All right. So you got to see her again and did she light up as much as you lit up when you saw her? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I've got pictures of her still, you know, yeah. um, I think some of them are on my website in my video. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think there are some of her in there in the video. So. Isn't it amazing how our greatest teachers come from the most unexpected events or things or people? So this little Vietnamese girl, because you said she was how old, Art? Nine. She was, she was nine. also nine years old. Yep. Yeah. How she became one of your greatest teachers that where you learned to love when the first time you saw deep into her eyes and saw you. It's just like, do you think there was divine intervention in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it was the universe at work. Absolutely. It's God at work. I mean, it's... Wow. None of it was by chance. It was, it was, it, it, I don't know if I call it predestined, but I believe that it was both of our destiny. Right, right. Yeah, because I, I know that you know my story and I know that my listeners know my story about how, how everything in my life turned around and became, it, it wasn't that I had a bad life, but just how you said this, where I learned to live, that hit my heart just like a, a bullseye. It's the same thing after I lost my daughter, how that tragedy became my greatest teacher and where I learned to love. If I said live with you, I take that back. I'm sorry. Where I learned to love the, the same exact thing for me that through that tragedy became one of my greatest teachers. And Right. And again, is it destiny? Is it pre, right? Is there, is there this whole thing that's already written up? I don't know, but I know that that is what happened. And it, it, there's a feeling inside of me that, that it was meant to be, that that, that was part of the storyline. That's, that's exactly how it was supposed to be. And when you can find some kind of reassurance in that or belief in that, if that works for you, it just feels like like God's hands are holding the whole entire thing. Would you agree with that? Actually, how I, my perception of it is, it's, it's a lesson in the power of choice. Because we all in our lives go through events that, you know, some are more traumatic, some are less traumatic, but we all go through these traumatic events. And it's the choice we make, the choice and how we choose to look at it. If we look at that event, like you just explained, we take power out of it. But if you let make the choice to let it overcome you and victimize you, then it controls you. It becomes con what controls you. You know, and I, I talk to vets sometimes and, uh, you know, I'll tell them, you know, we have the power to choose. You can either choose to let your combat experience rule you and you become 
what that experience was, or you control it and become what you want to do by living it and, and understanding that it happened, that it's not going to control you, that you have the power to change everything from that moment on. Right. And it's, it's a choice we make. We either let it eat us up or we eat it. That's what I tell them. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. Because that, that is, it is totally the truth because we all have circumstances in our life. We can't avoid them. Life is full of circumstances. So we can have that circumstance and the meaning we give to that or the circumstance has us. So that's how I, when I'm coaching, that's how I approach that too, that it doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean that there's not grieving and past hurtful memories, but it doesn't have to stop your life. There's, there's always a blessing in that, that we can always glean something beautiful from any situation. So what I tell, what I tell my clients is that it's not the event that matters. It's how we react to that event. Right. It's how we choose to react to that event that makes the difference. And I'm not trying to diminish events in our lives because they are tragic and some are, are, are terrible. Yeah. But really what it becomes is how and what we make of that event. We, we can either make it positive or negative. Right. And the positiveness comes out of it is we use these events to catapult other people, ourselves, our families, uh, friends, our clients. We use those events to catapult us. But those who choose to let, you know, and, and my mother, uh, God bless her, was <laughs> my mother lived in the past. Oh. Every time she would ever talk about anything, her father was, I don't want to say extremely wealthy, but during the 20s, uh, evidently accumulated quite a bit of wealth. And then in 29, when the stock market crashed, he lost it all. And my mother's comment was, I always can remember how it used to be. And I'm so mad that my dad lost all the money. And I, I used to say to her, Mom, it doesn't matter. Right. It's what we do with this now. And even as a young seven, eight, nine-year-old, I remember her saying that. And I, I wonder how much of that molded me into thinking about, you know, a better life. You know, I, I, I think of my brother and sister. You know, I had an older brother and a younger sister. And they never left the, that rural area of upstate New York where we lived. I was the only one that left. and they kind of stuck in that, that, that mindset of that rural area. And I'm so different than they are. I love them. You know, yeah. I, my brother passed away last year, but my, my little sister, I love her to death. I wouldn't, wouldn't trade her for all the world. And, uh, you know, but I wonder how different it would have been had they left. Right. Because I was the only one that left. Right. So. And isn't that interesting? Yeah, the choices that we make and the perceptions that we um, live by because we see it one way and sometimes we're not even open to seeing it a different way and it can keep us trapped or it can set us free. And I have, an, I have a question. It just popped into my head with your mom because obviously she grew up 
very wealthy until she was eight or nine years old. And then when the stock market crashed and, and they lost it all, is it almost like she was reliving that whole event when whatever happened with you guys when you were nine years old and you went from this upper middle class lifestyle to this dilapidated house in upstate New York? Was it kind of a repeat of her childhood for her? Do you know what I'm saying? Am I making that clear? Oh, that's clear as Isabel. And that that's an observation that I I hadn't put together. I never thought of that. Yeah, could that that just hit when you were saying that? It's like because you know how it is. We take on the beliefs of what I have experienced. And if we don't work past that and figure out what it is that we're holding on to, we can live right into that as from a small child because we're programmed now with that information. And then we live it out in our own adult life, not even realizing we're doing it because the subconscious mind is in control 95% of the time. And, and we end up living out this life that was just like that. That isn't even what I chose for myself, but that's what I did. Very good. I, I had not thought of it and uh, it is very plausible. That's why you and I are friends, Art. <laughs> we get to go deep on these great things. And right, because life is such that it's just this magnificent, beautiful, magical, mysterious journey. And we, I think we get so, because I know I used to up until the time I, I lost my daughter, would get so hung up in, well, how is that going to work? And oh my God, life is just a struggle. And it's like, ah, oh, it, it, None of it is. It, it, it all makes sense. And it's this beautiful, I don't know what else to call it except for this magical, magnificent journey that we're on. And life keeps unfolding beautiful adventures in front of us if we're willing to see that and willing to accept good things in our life and not being stuck in our belief from the past and how things are supposed to be or should be. Willing to act upon it. Yes. Willing yeah. to act upon it is huge. Yeah. Because it can remain in your head. You know, I always tell people, you know, they ask about expectations and, and what they mean and everything. And I'll tell them, you know, an, a thought stays in your head, a thought until you take an action. And then when you take an action, it starts to become an expectation. There's a little space in the brain where you go from thought to expectation because everything we do is based on an expectation. That expectation starts as a thought in the brain, subconscious. And that's, you know, we're talking about, you know, shower epiphanies, my, my podcast is coming out soon, but epiphanies are a precursor to thought and ex and expectations. They're all interrelated and it's, yeah. it's, it's how we move through them and how people move through them. Because when you have an epiphany, most people forget them really quick, unless you write them down. That's why I tell people always to have a recorder, have something to write your epiphanies down, because that's the precursor to, to your thought. And then once you start thinking about it, have thoughtful, mindful thought about that, then it starts to become an expectation. And that's what propels us through the process of becoming doers and doing things and making it happen. But most people interrupt at any three of those points. Uh, they have an epiphany. They don't write it down. It stops. Uh, they have a thought. Uh, they keep it in their head. That thought stays in their head. 
you know, because you hear people say all the time, oh, I thought about this, but I didn't want to do it. I was scared. I was fearful. Right. And fear is what stops them. But if you have this expectation in your head that everything is going to work out, it propels you into becoming a doer. And you will do anything and everything and believe in the possibilities of everything and everything. Because that's me. I believe that anything is possible. And I believe that if you take action and have a plan, it becomes probable. And then it becomes whatever it was meant to be. Right, right. That's awesome. Uh, Art, I think I have a product for you to develop because you hear of this happening all of the time and your podcast that's coming out, Shower Epiphanies. How many of us haven't had an epiphany in the shower? It, it's like that you're, you are naked. <laughs> you are naked. And the water is so cleansing. It's like you're washing off the old so the new can come. And it makes me think of, I may have his name wrong. And, and if so, I will correct it in the show notes. But I believe it's Darren Wiseman who also had a shower epiphany, although that's not exactly what he called it, and, and came up with a whole program that was all about overcoming troubles in our life, like how to live a better life, a, a fulfilling, joyful, full, expanded life. And he was in the shower yelling for his wife, hey, babe, hey, babe, grab me a piece of paper and a pen and write this down, <laughs> right? So if you had like a whiteboard or something along those lines and a marker, a waterproof marker, people could be writing down their shower epiphanies without having, because by the time you get out of the shower, dry off and try to write it down, it can be gone, never to be found again. So just an idea popped into my head, thought I'd share it because I always believe those ideas are divinely inspired. They actually exist. That board, that whiteboard exists oh. and, and the markers exist. You can get them. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, all right, yep. cool. Well, so much for that entrepreneurial idea for art, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not dispelling your idea. Because... <laughs> but I'm going to look into that because that's it's true. That's we get so many epiphanies out of the shower. Just they, they pop into. I don't know if we just if if we relax enough to allow those ideas to because we're not focused on I have to get this and make breakfast and get the kids to school and blah blah blah. You're just allowing that water and we let down our resistance for a while for that energy to flow through with these grand ideas. So, yeah. Uh, it's I think you're 100% right. I mean, sometimes, you know, some people have them outside of a shower. Some people can be sitting in a park and have them, you know, sure. but they really seem to come while you're in the shower. It's amazing how that, how it does. But I, I think you're right on when you say about cleansing and relaxing and being naked and all that. I mean, you know, right. maybe, maybe nudists have a, have a uh, one up us on that one. You know, that's something to investigate, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you might just have to put a poll out to the nudist colonies. Do you guys have more epiphanies than the rest of the population? <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, Art, I have to tell you, this has been a wonderful uh, morning interview with you. I have enjoyed it, and I could talk to you all day long. And I have a feeling that you and I are going to come back and revisit stuff. I had no idea about 
you knowing the like the laws of vibration and how all of that works and talking with the physicists from Harvard. And so I would love to have you on the show again so we can dive a little bit deeper into that and and get more information because that's exactly the premise I come from, that everything is energy. Everything is energy and it's all a vibration. And when we align ourselves to that vibration, magic opens up in our life that's just unimaginable, bigger than what we could ever imagine. And I would love to go deep in that with you. Are you, are you up to doing that sometime? Oh yeah, I'm absolutely up to it. Always here for you. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Uh, so Art, as we wrap up here, is there anything else that, that you would like to share with our listeners? And, and when we wrap up for sure, if you can let the listeners know where they can contact you and look at your story, any of your information, because you have this just beautiful, compelling story. And like I said, I, I feel so blessed and grateful to call you friend. So if you can let us know where to contact you, how to get in touch with you and your program, which is called Expectation Therapy, which is a very powerful program, and how people can get in touch with you and find that. They can get in touch with me at uh, expectationtherapy.com, H-T-T-T-P-S.com, Expectation Therapy. They can, I'm all over social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places you can connect with me. The one tidbit that I will leave for your listeners and you is that no matter what, become a doer and just keep doing and moving forward, thinking positively, and everything in the end will work out just the way it was meant to be, the way the universe planned it. That's beautiful, Art. I love that. And I am in complete agreement. I am 100% in complete agreement. I love that. Thank you. And listeners, just so you know, don't worry if you did not catch the name of the program, expectationtherapy.com. All of that information and how to contact Art will be in the show notes, so you will be able to find everything there. So Art, I'd like to thank you again for your time and taking, taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us and share your brilliance and your wisdom and your story and your heart. You are just a, a loving and, and genuine man and I just adore you. So thank you so much for being here with us. And until next time, listeners, enjoy your shower epiphanies. And know that there's a whiteboard and a waterproof marker that you can purchase somewhere. I'm going to have to find out about that. Put it up in your shower. And every time you take a shower, you can think of art like I do. (laughs) Take care, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information that you can use right away. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to rate and review right there on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.